Welcome to Forged in the Fires podcast with Fireman Rob. Being a fireman, father, veteran, husband, world record holder, and Ironman, he brings stories of experience to impact your life while challenging you to live it. What do you want from your life? Why do you want it? Are you willing to go through the challenges to get there? If you have the courage to take that first step, let this podcast be the catalyst to start your fire while you bring the resilience to make it continue to burn. Our lives are made up of moments called right nows. So let's get started. Forged in the Fires podcast with your host, Fireman Rob, begins now. We got the same blood, the same love. Stay by your side, it's right or die. Forge in the Fires podcast. I'm your host, Fireman Rob. Today we have a, a fireman who, ah oh man, he's just a he's an amazing individual. Getting to know him more, uh, just an amazing person. He was the gentleman in Oklahoma City um, who was on the cover of Time magazine, who was cave, uh, carrying baby Bailey out of um, after the Oklahoma City bombing. He's more than that, though. Uh, Chris Fields, so great to have you on the show today. Uh, man, I appreciate it, Rob. Um, honored to be on, and um, I'll get you a check in the mail for all those kind words. <laughs> so all $2, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, it's been, it was so amazing to hear you speak the, the first time, and I, I think it's um, it, it's so powerful that you, everybody sees that Time Magazine cover and they only see that part of you, but there's so much more to you. Like what did your, what did your time in the Oklahoma city fire department, what did that mean to you um, when you completed your career at your retirement day after 31 years? Oh man, it was uh, it was just a, it was a, it was a great, great ride. I mean, uh, you know, and I, I was just to the point where, you know, I was, uh, I felt like I was ready to go. I didn't want to stay too long and be one of those bitter old cranky, you know, <laughs> bastards. That like, I right <laughs> huh? like I am right now. Like I am right now. Yeah. You know, um, uh, yeah. Old cranky bastard. And, you know, and just, uh, you know, I just, I just seen so many guys do that and stay for the, you know, and guys sit there and put a pencil to it and financially, and they're going this, they're going, well, if I stay another year, it adds two and a half percent. And I thought two and a half percent. Yeah, another year. If you're ready to go, go Not for two and a half percent, you know, but right. I, so I just, but I look back on it and I can sit here right now and tell you, I would do, I would do it all. Over. It's a younger man's game. The body starts to, you right. know, you know, you're stepping up and down. I mean, people think it's just, well, you do this on a call. You do, man, it's just the, the up and down stress on your, on your heart from adrenaline to shut down, adrenaline to shut, you know, and, Stepping up and down in the rig numerous times, they just little stuff like that. Even just wears yeah. and tears on all your joints and your your body. It's just it's a younger man's game. But uh, man, I would uh, unless you get one of those cushy chief positions, you know. You just sit there. <laughs> but uh, I can say that now that I'm retired. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But I mean, but, man, it, I would. It, I, it's wearing tear. I, I love the career. I, I would do it all over again. I. Love the Oklahoma City Fire Department. I just had lunch with a retiree buddy uh, yesterday. When I, I, like I was still telling you, I, I got in from uh, Boston at nine, like ten in the morning, and met him for lunch at eleven. And, oh wow! Uh, <laughs> but we just, you know, and we, uh, 
we were just talking about it and I said, man, I've, you know, I've been blessed to fly around the country and still in Oklahoma city is a, man, it was just a good fire department to work for. And, uh, I love the career. I love the people. We had nothing but support, you know, from the community and, uh, which is a large community in Oklahoma city, 622 square miles, 37 fire stations and, wow. uh, you know, a thousand men and all women too. Sorry. And, uh, but it was just, um, it was just a great, great career. And I, I would, uh, I, I would do it all over again tomorrow if they would let me and if my body would let me. And I love and that. Mind. that <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And I, I love the way that you put it. You do it all again. And I think a lot of people see, um, going to the, you know, see the fire service and see the military members, um, struggling from, you know, the mental side. And, and that's what you talk about today. And, and, uh-huh that you'd still go back and do it is so such a powerful statement because a lot of them are like, why would you want to go through that? You know, would you want to go through that trauma again? Would you want to go through those struggles again? But you say you would tell, tell me why it's, it's so powerful to be able to say that, you know, that's who I am and I want to change a thing. Yeah. um, uh, I think, and and, you know, I might be saying that too, because it's easier now that I'm, I'm, I'm at the place where I am mentally, right. you know, now, um, but you wouldn't be there without what, that struggle. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. It, you know, it doesn't matter what first responder entity you're with or whatever, you know, we, we, uh, you know, we, of course you can't tell by looking at me now, but I used to, you know, I did the curls, I did the push ups, I did the running, right. I did the, you know, we, uh, we train physically, man, to be the best we can be, but we, we, we fail on training the mental part and yeah. training the brain, the biggest muscle you got, you know? And I, I think it's easier to say I could do it all over again uh, because of where I'm at now and knowing what I know now and how to, you know, process and handle things. And that it's all those, those feelings and emotions, whether it be physically, spiritually, you know, emotionally, just w- whatever, all those things I was experiencing those 31 years on the fire department that we tried to, or I tried to mask and hide, man, they're right. perfectly, perfectly normal human reactions, you know? Right. And so, so I think just being, being where I'm at now and looking back and knowing what I know now, I think I could uh, uh, be better prepared. And that's, that's why I get out and speak to man. I try to get them to teach these young uh guys and girls are getting on the job about just, you know, get to train the, train the brain too, not just the biceps. Exactly. And I love how you put it. It's a perfectly normal reaction. How yeah. long did it take you to get that mindset that it's a perfectly normal reaction? Cause I know from my, my standpoint, I'm guessing from yours initially, it's like, Hey, what, what is this? Why, why is this just happening to me? Right. Right. And, um, it you know, it took, well, sadly, it took me until the, the, the wheels fell off, you know, to in, right. in my, um, you know, I was uh, fortunate enough and blessed enough to to get it all fixed before I, you know, messed up my uh, career, or ended my life, took my life or or whatever. But it was just a um, I don't think you realize it until. I, I say you, I think they can realize it more now because people are more willing to talk about it. Right. You know, and when we were, I know you've got 20 or 25 on, so you were back in the day. And yeah. when I was hired in 1985, it's just stuff you didn't talk about. 
No. Uh, a man was a, a man, you know, a man yeah, didn't exactly. cry. A man didn't, you know, we cried as long as everybody else was crying and we were hugging it. You know, we, we lost three firefighters in 89 in a house fire. And just to sit around the station and weep about it or anything, you know, nobody did that. No, there was no, but if we were all together, you know, and that's when we did our crying and our laughing and our joking and our war storytelling about our brothers and sisters. But, uh, it just wasn't something you talked about or something you did individually, but it was perfectly fine and accepted as long as you were all in a group together and you were all feeling that same emotion, it was fine. (laughs) But to feel it individually was just something we didn't do. And it, I don't want to say it wasn't accepted. I don't think we know if it was accepted because nobody would do it. So. Nobody would do it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It, it was just one of those things where you just, you kind of just, like you said before, you mask everything to get through what you needed to get through. But right. inevitably, it didn't help you personally on that side. No, no, it didn't. And, and, and I will say, you know, and um, since we said that, we mask it and all that. Um, you know, and, and there's something to be said for that during your 24 or 48 hours at the station, you know, oh, completely. because I don't want, I don't want Rob. <laughs> I want Rob to be able to talk about it. I don't want him so shook up right. and about a call that 10 minutes later, we're making a, uh, a fire alarm, a house fire. And he's so shook up. He can't remember how to even pull the right handle to get us water, you know, or something. So, right. so there is something to be said for learning how to put it in its proper spot until you get time to, right. uh, you know, process it or talk about it. But, um, yeah, it did, uh, Rob, it spilled over into my, my, I was really, really, really good at, uh, managing, <laughs> um, personal life, professional life, um, and keeping, keeping them separate. You know, I didn't, I didn't tell the family about the, you know, guts and the gore and all that kind of stuff. And, and, uh, but then it got to where they started crossing each other, my personal, my professional life, bringing it home. Right. But the problems I was having at home, I didn't take to the fire station. But the stuff I was struggling with in the fire service, I did take home. And wow. so I was so good about uh, covering it up. You know, part of my story is, you know, me and my wife were separated for 17, 17 months. And except for a, a few people in the fire service, close friends and, and, and stuff like that. There wasn't a whole lot of people that even knew because I was so good at, uh, you know, it's not something she was out bragging about either, but I was just so good at, uh, going to the station and, and making everybody think there was nothing going on that, um, that hardly anybody knew that I was, I think nobody really knew the struggles I had until I was gone. But until I finally, you know, succumbed to everything and went to treatment. And right. then even after that, there's a lot of guys and girls that I work with that don't know the whole story until they hear me tell it still That's crazy. That's great. And I love when, when, when you're talking about, you know, on the job, you know, it's important to know the timing, know the time when you're supposed to, <laughs> it's interesting because like what you were just saying is like, you were better at covering it for the job and doing that challenging work than you were um in the mundanity of going home uh yeah and that's that's really a um it's crazy it's a sad i look back at i'm thinking about 
And I've thought about it often, you know, it's, it's a sad statement. I was more concerned with what work guys and girls, the Oklahoma city fire department thought about me than I was with my own family. Is that correct? That's crazy. And that's, you know, and I'm, and, and now, you know, back then, and I almost said it now, you know, I go thinking to realize that, you know, I am probably just, that's the norm almost. And to where when I was going through it, you know, I'm thinking I'm the only one. I'm a unicorn, you know. Yeah. Nobody, I, don't, I don't see anybody you are else. You a unicorn, struggling. Chris. That just yeah. gave me a mental image I don't want to have. <laughs> you know, you think you're the only one going through it. But then right. now I'm where I'm at. I'm thinking, and I've, I've talked to some guys and girls on the job, and, and we've had some good discussions. And now I think, you know what? They were just as good at me as me at masking and covering it up. Because here oh, I was yeah. thinking I was the only one. And now I'm learning that, you know, uh, my buddy John Doe over here, he was going through the same things. And um, the guy I had lunch with yesterday, you know, uh, yeah. for him to tell me some of the stuff he told me yesterday, this was one of the strongest. Um, but when he got on the job, he was like a youth pastor also. He was a strong, you know, and not, not that you can't drink and be a Christian. I want to make it sound like I'm trying to be holier than now. But, you know, to find out that this guy started struggling with alcohol, right. I would have never, ever, <laughs> ever <laughs> I could have named 400 other people besides him, not this person, you know? Yeah. So, but what that tells me is we all, we all do it. We all mask it. And, um, as good as I thought I was at it, I'm finding out that there's a hundred other people that were just as good as I was <laughs> up and, and masking it. Oh, it's crazy. And do you think, you know, cause I think they're, well, they've been trying to in the fire service and this is the hard thing is everything is trending. You know, it's uh, cancer treat, you know, cancer is trending. Right. It's like, Oh, we're going to focus on this and mental health is trending. We're going to focus on this for a little bit. I think, do you, do you believe that one of the hardest things for understanding mental health in the first responder community is that it's so dynamic because when you have the firehouse, right? Like you were talking about, everybody's really good at masking to be able to do their job. Well, if you're not, then a lot of those people will leave the fire service early. Right. But when you get home, those dynamics are different for everybody. Do you think that's one of the biggest keys to the issue around mental health? Um, Man, I don't know. It's just, I just, <clears throat> so many, I guess you could say, but yeah, that, there is. It's just, yeah. it's just, there's just so many dynamics. And like you said, we, <clears throat> we can, you know, I mean, you're doing, you know, doing some stuff now with some projects and it, and we've said it several times. You just can't put it all under one umbrella because yeah, everybody so is true. so, you know, I heard a guy make a statement the other day and I won't say who it was on a show and it really kind of set me off. It didn't set me off. I was just kind of like, that's he was talking about uh, the homeless problem out in, in California, San okay. Francisco, mainly, I think. And he said they were showing video and he said, all those people have failed at life and they're at the end of their road. Basically, you know, call them. I said, Man, right. you can't put them all in that category. Some no. have just hit on hard times because they got laid off some uh, mental. Now, there are some that just choose to be homeless. I mean, there yeah. are there are yep. people that you can Seen help. Those. You can help, and they, they they say thank you. I I like this. I like what you know. But they're not the ones that are camping on business steps, you know, and causing trouble either. But that's just the lifestyle they choose. But I heard that guy say that, and I thought, how do you put them all under that umbrella of their losers, their failures in life, and they're at their end of their road? 
Right. When there's and the same thing with when we talk about mental health and the fire service, there's so many different dynamics that factor in. You know, we find out childhood trauma comes yeah. in play, you know, uh, and then you get to the which came first, the chicken or the egg. Are they struggling with are they struggling <laughs> yeah. with a substance abuse because of mental health issues or are they struggling with mental health issues because of substance abuse? You know, it's just <clears throat> it's just crazy. That's so, sorry. That's so a, a bad word to use. And I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> All the people in the fire service just kind of laughed at that one because it, it it's true though. I mean, you have to you have to have humor in this whole thing too, as well, because it's it's one of those things that we utilize as our defense mechanism. And, and, and it is, and it is, and some people get offended by it that aren't in in the brotherhood and the sisterhood. But yeah. I will say this: it's it's. It's probably, it's probably one of the most used. That dark humor is probably one of the most used vices that we use to get through a shift. Okay. Oh, completely. You completely. Know, it's, it's probably just, one of the best therapeutic uses. <laughs> and, yeah, and it's just you know, and um, you know, if you ever, I never sat around and we did our dark humor, and never once did I look at a person going. Uh, you you sick bastard! How could you say? I didn't just you know or think any less of a person, right? You know, because right. that's just the way. That's just that's just that's one of the vices that we use to get through a shift, and um, yeah. you know, and uh, which is which is good. It's a it's a good use of it. There's no disrespect. There's no you know. Uh, it's no ill intent. will towards it. Yeah, yeah. There's no intent. It's just it's just. Uh, it's better than running out to your truck and sitting in your truck and taking a couple of shots of whiskey, you know, yeah. which I'm sure some do. <laughs> which I'm sure has never happened. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, w- I want to go back to the the iconic point of, and, and this is the interesting thing, is that I think a lot of people are like, oh, my gosh, he went through that one moment in time. Mm-hmm. That's what that's what did it. And, and a lot of people don't understand the accumulation, but. I want to go back to the Oklahoma City bombing uh, in 1995. Um, how many, you were 10 years on the service? Uh, yes, I was just July coming up now. It was April 19th was the bombing of 95. July of 95, I was getting ready to have 10 years on the job. Wow. So so you had you had seen things in your career, but you get to this, this um, the Oklahoma City bombing, what was the first impression in your mind? What was your what was going through your mind that first time that you, you pulled up in your rig? Um, you know, we part of the story. You know, we we had to park so far away, and then it's kind of like you know, block a long city block away, and the way the Murrah building sat and the street we parked on, it's like a little hill, so you couldn't see like the base of the building. Okay, and there was so much, you know, there's lots of smoke and all that stuff going on, so. By the time we got up there, and and I know we didn't, but it felt like we were probably standing there with our jaws on the, you know, our chin on the ground, like what in the world, you know? Right. Um, I, I still remember walking on, like not even walking on the pavement, walking on, you know, glass and debris that was, it was everywhere. And I think um, standing there at the base of that building, and uh, and when I say this, there's no it's no disrespect to the 168 lives we lost. But if you would have told me if a guy or girl was working with right then would have said, uh, cause we're talking about nine o'clock in the morning, downtown right. Oklahoma city, right. nine story building, 
third of it gone, pancaked down on top of each other. If they looked and said, yeah, we're only going to have 168 fatalities today. I would have said, you are absolutely out of your mind. Oh, you know, by far. Yeah. I, I would, I would say I, I, I almost, in my mind, I look at the numbers now and I, I could have, I could see them reversed. You know, there was 168 fatalities with over 700 injuries, you know, good Lord. Right. I could see 500 fatalities, you know, with, with as many injuries just because of the time of the day and, and, and all that. And, uh, so it's still kind of hard to uh, to grasp and, and remember that first view of the building because it was just it was like a scene you would see that they created for a movie set, you know. <laughs> yeah, I know that. And I tell yeah. you, uh, um, eerily, eerily familiar was when I the first uh, the first images I saw of the Surfside collapse in Florida. Oh yes, almost I and especially I think they had a night picture of it with the lights on it and everything, which you know right. of course went on here. And that was like, I, I think everybody here, you know, so many years ago, so a lot of people don't remember the images and of the building and all that, but the ones that worked it do, and I'll guarantee you, they were all like, oh my God, that looks just like the Murrah building. Did, it, it was did that bring thing. up anything in you? Um, you know, a, a little a bit, but not, not, not anything to where, you know, it took me back to that day. And of course, then you think about the day and you think about your brothers and sisters you worked with and all the things you you, you, you saw and that you did. And uh, I remember conversations we had during the day, uh, but, uh, but it wasn't anything that, you know, like that had any kind of impact to where I was down in the dumps or anything. Cause I was just, you know, able to, I'm always able to appreciate where I'm at now. Yeah. And uh, that always helps, but yeah, it did. It brought up, uh, it brought up some uh, memories that day because it was such a eerily familiar image. That's crazy. Now, did you transition? So I know um, for myself, when right after the the incident that uh, after September 11th, um, I struggled to find the positives. Did was that kind of similar to you, or did you were you able to see some positives after the after you know doing search and recovery, all those things, the next few days, or was it just you know just kind of questioning what was going on? Uh Man, that's a good, it's almost like a 50-50 split because of the fact that, <laughs> yeah. I mean, because we saw, you know, we went down there and worked our, worked our, what, after that first day, um, what they did was if you were on duty, you did 12 hours at the site and you, then you went back to station. Okay. Um, however, that would be either your first 12 down at the, you know, site working and your other 12 uh, back at station or vice versa. And uh, so, so you had that constant reminder and it was covered rightfully so because, you know, the search went on for several weeks. Um, right. So it was covered. It was in your face every day in the media. Oh, yeah. So along with that reminder of the, the, of the tragic day and the lives that were taken, it seemed like every day also there was some kind of positive story that came out of it. I know that yeah. sounds weird, but you know, whether well, it, doesn't, it, be, it sounds normal. <laughs> yeah. Whether it be, they found another, you know, they found another victim or, um, one of the, one of the children that was transported that was in critical condition is now, you know, up and walking around or something, you know, or right. there was always some kind of, uh, uh, a, a little positive spin put on it, you know? And, uh, so it was just kind of, a. You know, and then I got to know Aaron, which is Bailey's mom. 
met her and that was kind of a, a blessing that came out of it. So it was just kind of a mixed bag of emotion of, of seeing it every day in the media, the doom and the gloom, and then working your 12 hours down on the, on the pile. And, uh, and then hearing the stories and seeing the recoveries and all that. So it was just kind of a, it was like a 24 hour shift, a regular 24 hour shift at the fire station, the up and down of emotions, you know, that you can yeah, experience no in, in, in oh, a 24 hour shift. Well, that had to be, uh, you know, when, when you had Bailey, tell me about that moment um, when you were given Bailey and you're, I mean, when you're looking at Bailey, I mean, what was, what was going through your mind at that moment? I mean, was that, which day was that actually? That was the very first day within the first hour. Um, Are you serious? Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We were, we got to the, of course I was at the station that day. My spire station was just 15 blocks north of downtown of the Murrah building. So we felt it, we heard it, everything, you know, shook the station. Um, so we got down there, you know, relatively quick within, you know, we self-dispatched. So we were probably out the door by bombing was at 902. We were probably out the door by 90. After we, did, after we went outside to try to see what was going on, we saw the smoke from downtown we self-dispatched. So we were on the road by 9.04, down there by 9.06 or 7. Wow. You know, so uh, we set up a triage. There was a y- YMCA caddy corner. Had a yeah. lot of uh, workers. Had a daycare in it also. Had a lot of kids, injured flying debris, you know, and stuff. So we had a little triage there for – and we were probably there about 10 or 15 minutes, and we got called down, uh, the instant commander, Um. Well, that's another thing real quick. You know, that was when yeah. NIMS and Instant Command, I think it was maybe one of the first major uses of the IMS system. Oh, seriously? Uh, instant management, you know, because that oh, was wow. really new coming on. And then we had the bombing and everything was so chaotic until yeah. until we had the they made us evacuate because of another bomb scare and everything got set in place. So um, but the Instant Commander, you know, called uh, I was the officer on the hazard materials unit that day. They called us down to the told us to come on down to the, to the, to the site for an assignment. So you're looking at probably 30, 45 minutes into the, when that, when this happened. And, okay. um, you know, I didn't know there was a photo taken until that evening, like at 11 o'clock. Um, uh, then seeing the photo for the first time the next morning, I knew exactly where I was standing, what I was doing, what I was thinking. Um, oh. it was, I had, uh, Sergeant Avery, police officer, handed me Bailey. I uh, checked her for any signs of life, you know, cleared some uh, concrete dust and stuff out of her throat. She had an open skull fracture, and I couldn't find any signs of life. Uh, there was a staging area across the street with ambulances, and so I walked over there and paramedic. I told him I had a critical infant. And the photo of me and Bailey is really cropped down. I mean, that's so they could, you know, enhance yep. the redness of my helmet and her blood and which it wasn't quite that. Yeah, I'm looking red. at the original uh, that that has the another EMT in the downside. Yeah, the police to the car and yeah, yeah, know, and there's the, there's the, the, the EMT that's on like on the ground. Yep. It, yeah, that is the, uh, he's actually he's going to get a blanket out of the the ambulance was full and he, there's people on the ground on uh, stretchers or backboards and uh, he was he said oh, hold on let me get a blanket so we don't have to lay that baby on the ground. And I was just waiting for him. And I look, I remember looking down at her. I knew she was close to my oldest son, who's 30 now, was uh, two years old at the time. So Hmm. I knew 
they were close in age. And of course, Bailey had turned one year old the day before the bombing on April 18th. And, uh, I remember just thinking, yeah, why, you know, somebody's world is going to be turned upside down today because their, their infant baby girl is, is dead. And, you know, and, and, and having that feeling and that emotion and then not even realizing, you know, I think back, back now that that same feeling and emotion that I've had right then was going to be felt 167 more times that day around the building by other first responders, you know, whether police, EMS, right. you know, whatever. And, uh, so it was just, uh, it was just, a a feeling of, you know, somebody's world is getting, and, you know, and then that's before we even, that was before we even started the rest of our day. And then we were there till we were there till 11 o'clock that night and working. So. And do you remember, do you remember when you were the moment that you were able to kind of let down, like after working that first moment that you were able to let down, do you, does that, are you able to recollect that? Like what, what was yeah, Chris Fields feeling? What, it, was, uh, it was actually, we had went in, uh, after, after I gave, uh, Bailey to the paramedic and everything, I went and caught up with my crew who had went on into the, um, entered from the South side and was doing uh, search and rescue. And we had come across a, a, a victim that we were standing on top of her. We could hear her in the rubble yeah. uh, hollering for help. And so we were kind of, you know, she was communicating with us. So we were kind of asking her, she, she told us we were standing on her. She could feel oh, the geez. pressure. Oh my gosh. So we were kind of moving around asking, you know, we kind of spread out. I told, you know, we had, everybody back up in kind of a bigger circle. So we weren't like, you know, five guys standing on top of her in one area. <laughs> and uh, one guy just kept saying, you know, where do you feel my pressure? Where do you feel it? So we were trying to figure out how she was laying, you know, oh, so, we okay. could start at her, so we could start where her head was and be more careful. Of course, there when we were moving debris. Wow. And uh, so we got her out and got her sent on the way to the hospital. She was 28 year old. I just, Sheila driver was her name. She was, uh, six or seven months pregnant. And, um, you know, I, I always tell that's part of my story too, because that was, that was that one part of the day where we felt good because we took, we found somebody alive and they were talking to us and we got them out. And then it was one of those deals to where the next day when they updated the, the list of deceased, she was on there. She had passed away on the way to the hospital. And her and her unborn child. So it was one of those, you know, it was our high moment of the day. And then to find out the next morning that she didn't make it. But it was, uh, you know, that's typical first responder. What could we have done different? Did we do this right? Was the IV good? You know, because, you know, he's crushed syndromes to all this kind of stuff going through your mind. And uh, (laughs) but when we after we got her out, uh, that's when they had thought they found another uh, bomb. Oh, no. And uh, so they evacuated everybody. And that was a moment where we all got to take a breath and just kind of, you know, there wasn't really any, of course, you know, we're tough. So there wasn't any really like, you know, kumbaya moments or anything. But uh, right. I've got a picture of us, of me and about uh, probably about 10 or 11 other uh, firefighters who were sitting, uh, you can tell we're like sitting in an old parking garage part of the building. Helmets off, just relax. And I think we were just all kind of like 
we're still like going, what in the world is going right. on? You know, what, yeah. uh, uh, what caused this? What, uh, and I remember, uh, one of the firefighters, Mike Walker, who is now the one of the deputy chiefs for the fire department. I remember him asking me cause he was on, on my crew that day asking me about the baby. Uh, like what oh, happened really? to the baby that, you know, I just remember I saying, well, when I left her there, you know, there was no signs of life. I don't know what else. I don't know the outcome. I don't know. So we just talked about a few things and, uh, I think that's too. And that, and it's, it's kind of a little funny moment in the deal that we were all like, what do you mean? They found another bomb. We didn't even know there was a first bomb, you know, right? you didn't even know. <laughs> no, because so you guys didn't time, even know we that first going, day. Yeah. We were still like, uh, did a natural gas line get hit by somebody digging, you know? Uh, oh, no kidding. Did we, you know, yeah, well, there was, there was no, we were never told. Uh, and and wow. as the story goes, as I'm told that it was a uh, good old freelance and firefighter that had worked his way to the ninth floor. That's where the ATF was. And, okay. you know, that's, that's why if you go back into history, that's why Timothy McVeigh picked that building because the gentleman, because that was over the ATF there in Oklahoma City was one of the guys running the week the Waco siege two years before oh, that went south. Right. Okay. April 19, 1993. So this was his revenge. That's why he picked that building because of the ATF being on the ninth floor. And oh, uh wow. anyway, a firefighter does a little freelancing, which we all know what that is, and not allowed. <laughs> not uh, allowed. <laughs> uh I say it was a firefighter. I can't confirm. I heard it was. I think they just, I, <laughs> I think, think it's they a good pick on us, you know. I think it's a good guess. Yeah, I think I think, I think it was guess. a cop. And so the cops put the story out that it was a firefighter. <laughs> and uh but anyway, they they said that they had found a explosive device. But what it was, it was one of those dummy it was a dummy device they had on display up there. So Oh, um, in the ATF area. Yeah. But oh, nice. when they when they said evacuate the building because they found another explosive device, we were all like and they found another explosive device. Wow. <laughs> when did they find the first explosive device? Yeah. Uh, that changed your guys' mindset at all? Um, yeah, it did. It uh, pissed everybody off because at that time, 1995, yeah. uh, immediately, immediately everybody went to a Middle Eastern connection. Yeah, because of the so – we, yeah. we were pissed. Screw you other countries. You don't – you know, yeah, I mean, you know – we had the American flags, any ones we found, we were flying, we were putting up like, you know, F you, you know, yeah, do this to us. Well, and then what a day or two later, we find out it was uh, one of our own pieces of shit, you know? Uh, yeah. That, that exactly. did it. That's- but it, it didn't, it didn't, it didn't change the anger level or the pride level any, but it, uh, it was almost saddening, but uh, it was, uh, yeah. So, so that was the first chance I say that was a long answer to your question, but it was like, uh, an hour or two into the incident was it was probably a godsend that we got to take that break yeah. and everybody kind of re, re regroup and reorganize. And it did help get the command system put up because we didn't have the 800 megahertz system. Then everything, we couldn't talk to each other. We cops couldn't talk to firefighters. We couldn't already talk to each other on our own radios because of all the, I think the, you know, cell phones were in 1995. I had a, I had like a white brick phone, you know, or a bag phone. I think that's, that's where we were at, you know. So oh, I remember, <laughs> I think uh, AT&T or Singular or whatever they were called, but I don't know. Several companies come in and put up uh, temporary tower uh, antennas and towers on buildings just so you could even 
uh, have any kind make, of signal. Don't anybody could even make phone calls out of there. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Wow. Wow. I love it. I, Hey, I, I appreciate everything you've instilled upon us today. And I always end the podcast the same way with three questions. Are you ready? I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, give me a break. You're always ready. All right. So if you could go back to your 18 year old self and give yourself one piece of advice, what would that be? Ooh, wee. <laughs> uh, I know it's, I know it's decades before, but whatever. You know, <laughs> it's just going to sound almost like I'm not happy with where things ended up, but man, don't half-ass life period. Uh, there are so many things I look back on and think, you know, uh, you know, in school, college, yeah. you know, I could have yeah. done so much better, you know, and I look back now and go, you know, my, my, my son, who's 24, he's a, he was a heck of a baseball player. And yeah. he, he, we were talking the other day and he made a statement. He goes, man, I wish I would have just put, put in the more effort or more, you know, instead of just getting by. Yeah, I, and that's yeah. what I told him. I used to tell him that all the time, and I know he's looking back. I know then he was thinking, kind of like I did my dad. What back off, asshole! I got yeah, this, exactly. Know. And now he's thinking, you know, you were right. And I look back and I think, uh, Same listen thing. to your yeah. If I was eighteen, I would say, listen to your mom and dad because they're gonna get they're gonna get smarter the older you get. Yep, <laughs> everything they say is true because they've lived it. And just just do not half ass life, man. Everything you're going to do, either do it 100% or don't do it. I love that. That's a perfect answer. All right. The second one is uh, everybody goes through challenges and struggles in their life. If you could have them incorporate two habits into their daily life to continue to move forward, to continue to push, what would those two habits be? Uh, Oh, man. Um how about just two words how about gratitude and reflection? I like those. Yeah. Um, you know, just, uh, and being thankful for what you got and where you're at, man. It's just, it's actually, these are all, you know, lessons I've learned now that I'm 59 years old, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's well, it's experiential knowledge. It's so valuable. Yeah. Yeah. It's so valuable. Yeah. All right. This last one's going to be fun. If you could have, coffee at a firehouse table so you know what a firehouse table is like mm-hmm. uh with three individuals that can be deceased or alive who would those three be oh man see uh, i'm challenging you i know you're tired too so yeah um abraham lincoln Ooh, good one uh because i think he's just too cool <laughs> uh, <laughs> i mean you read all the stuff about him he was just man he was just i think he was I think he was cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He would, uh, he'd be interesting to talk to. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, Larry Bird. <laughs> wow. You just went out on the clip. You got, okay. All right. Yeah. I want to see this last one. I, I have no idea where this is going. Yeah, I really don't either. I've never, those are my two favorites. Um, uh, I love it. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I, and I say this and I'm not, uh, I'm going to say because I don't know. Um, <laughs> I've stumped. always had that list too, and I've always thought about it. Who would I? Uh, um, Who's going to mix well with Larry Bird? I mean, that's the key. Yeah, uh, I would say. How about Jimmy Hoffa? Just to find out where he really is. 
<laughs> just be looking at the time when he is like, "Hey, it's time to have coffee." We're like, where did he go? Where did he? No, where's he uh, <laughs> I'm really not. I'm really not. You know, uh, Abraham Lincoln and Larry Bird are are for sure. No, they're like they're it. my they're my top two. That and, those, um, those are such opposite. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's crazy, isn't it? And uh, God, I don't even know. You Probably, know, Jimmy Hoffa uh, can do the coffee. He's fine. Do what? <laughs> Jimmy Hoffa can pour the coffee. Yeah, and I'll tell you this: if if uh, I know we don't go down this road very often, but if I could sit and talk to to Jesus, oh yeah, that I've had would, that answer uh, before. Um, that was probably going to be my first one, but I didn't want to come off of people going, "Oh, the Jesus answer." No, <laughs> no, no. I mean, it makes sense. It's like you know, you have you have Abraham Lincoln, Larry Bird, and Jesus. Okay, since I'm going to throw Jesus in there, let's put Jesus first. And then, okay. <laughs> and, and then, All right, he can sit at the lieutenant seat at the table. He can sit at the lieutenant seat. Jesus can sit at the lieutenant seat at the table. And I know, I you know, I was raised in a very strong Oklahoma, so Bible yeah. Bill, I was raised in a very strong Christian home. I kind of think one sometimes if Jesus would even take my call, you know, that's <laughs> or accept a, that's the invite. An, well, it's an interesting thing that you say that because it's it's one of those things like, you know, let's put it this way. After that Oklahoma City bombing, did in your mind, were you like, you know, can can he take my call? Can I understand why? Yeah. Well, I tell you what, real, real quick. We got just a second. My yeah. uh, th- that was that's part of my, my my mother, strong Christian lady, prayer warrior. Uh, she used to she say you know, there's a reason it was you. There's a reason it was you, you know, and well, and then when I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I'm struggling and going through, man, I was angry, angry, angry with, with God over this deal. Yeah. And I kept saying, well, if there's a reason, cause I believe my mom, my mom prayed it and she said there was a reason. And I was getting, I said, then you need to show, like, here I am demanding, you know, yeah. you need to show me the reason <laughs> because I'm <getting laughs> You know, if there's a reason, let me know what it is because I'm struggling here. I'm, you know, I just tried to, I just tried to finish everything with Xanax and alcohol. So, so what is the, what is the reason, you know, what is the reason it's me in this deal? And, you know, now I'm to where I am and it made me a better, it made me, it was a rough road, but I'm a better better father, better husband, better person, um, because yeah. of, because of, you know, what, what I went through. And, crazy. Uh, it, it's crazy when we were separated, my wife would go into her closet. That was her war room, her prayer room, yeah. in our walk-in closet. And she never told me this until after, uh, we were back together and everything was working and we were doing what we're doing now. But she said when she used to, uh, when she would, she said she used to pray every day for God to take away her love for me because I was that bad of a person. She didn't want to be in love with me anymore. But wow. she said every time she, I know that's you don't that's, want to be that person. Deep. But or, but she said every time she would pray that she would get this vision of me speaking in front of people. Really? And, yeah. Wow. And so it's just kind of uh, it's just crazy that things are where they are at, and uh, you know, and. and do I think that was the sole reason that I went through it? No, I, I, I think I had to be brought down a few notches and brought to my knees to become the, like I say, the person, the father and the husband 
that and the son around. and the friend that I am today to people. So that's a perfect way to end this. I appreciate your time so much, Chris. And I appreciate you as a friend. Yes, sir. Same thing, Rob. Uh, uh, really appreciate it. It was great to meet you the first time back out in Arizona. Yes, sir. Yep. I've enjoyed getting to know, getting to know more about you and see that I'm definitely not the only crazy one out there. Yes, sir. I appreciate that. I can help that with you. <laughs> you helped help me confirm that. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, hey, uh, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for listening and supporting the Forged in the Fires podcast with Fireman Rob. Remember, don't forget to like and subscribe to this podcast. And please share this episode with a friend or family. To find out more about Fireman Rob or reach out about a question, go to www.firemanrob.com. Until next time, live your life forged in the fires.